do as a church because we get to collaborate with other churches uh, together uh, in our community. So it's a fabulous thing. And uh, this is an easy thing for you to be involved with too. Uh, And I'm sure that even after you've done driving that week, the youth group might even wash your car for you. So, you know, think about that one as well. We are, uh, we are just delighted that Mallory is here with us, and we're having a potluck after church today. We haven't had a potluck in a while, and uh, there's a reason they call it potluck, and well, those of you who know why it's called a potluck, because you just never know what you're going to get. But the most important thing is that you're with us and that you join us, and uh, even if you didn't bring anything, we want you to feel really bad about that. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> We want you to join us. We want you to be part of that as we uh, share in this meal together and welcome uh, Mallory. Now, I've been instructed to tell you uh, that you need to line up on the east side because uh, we're going to make the line up on the east side. Go. I think that's that side, but I never know where I am in this building. So uh, if you want a piece of the pie, you've got to move it on up to the east side. So uh, just keep that in mind, and uh, we'll do that after our second hour today. I know you won't be able to see this, but uh, our, our own, uh, well, we're missing Seth today from being with us uh, because he's running a half uh, triathlon, uh, half Ironman, that's right, and half Ironman, and I'm, we, we're following him on the tracker uh, right now, and he is currently beating both his dad and his brother, so, uh, you know, kudos to him, that's right, you know. So uh, I was talking to Seth about it this week. What's your training plan? What's your goal? Beat dad and my brother. So, uh, so far, he's doing a pretty good job. And uh, I, I, uh, we've been tracking all of them. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's doing a really good job. I think he's just heading into the running portion. So this is where he needs our prayers the most. So uh, anybody else used to be a runner? Right? Yeah. Yeah, and I know, like, uh, I, I, I think that uh, Bob Dewar is still doing ultra, ultra marathons or something like that. So, uh, yeah, that's craziness. Well, does anybody know what a rock hound is? Let me rephrase that question. Anybody under the age of 50 know what a rock hound is? Is anybody, is anybody in here a rock hound? Yeah, uh, my grandparents were rock hounds. Now, a rock hound is just an avid rock collector, okay? My grandparents, they lived on the Oregon coast, and they would scour the beaches, and they would find a rock that's called an agate. And when you find this rock, it's rough. It doesn't look like much. It looks like your common rock that you would just pick up and throw back into the ocean. But my grandfather, he had a rock tumbler, And what he would do is he would take these rocks that they would gather on the coast and he would put them in that tumbler and they would come out to be these amazing, it's hard for you to see in in detail here. I mean, I have jars of these uh, in my office of all different sizes and colors, mainly because it reminds me of something that they were very passionate about, but also because they're just beautiful to look at. And it's a, it's a memory to me of them and, and the effort that they, but they did in these rocks. Now, my parents, they became uh, avid rock hounds as well. And I guess to some extent, they still are. And, and when we lived in Central America, they would go and they would gather petrified wood. I mean, that was the big thing. These are actual, at, at one point in time, this was wood from a tree. 
And, and at this point, it's as hard as my head. It's petrified. And, and I remember as a kid, you know, they, they would go and they would collect all of these rocks. They shipped boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of these rocks from Central America back to the United States. Unless, of course, it's illegal. And then they allegedly shipped boxes and boxes of rocks back into the United States. I remember as a kid being with them, we'd be driving along some road out in the middle of nowhere, and my dad would spot a vein of petrified wood in the embankment. He would slam on the brakes of the car, and in a second, the preacher would become a paleontologist. He'd be getting out his tools and, hey, Dad, don't we have the gospel to share into these villages? You know, and he'd be digging out these veins of of petrified wood. Listen, I remember as a kid, I remember walking through an entire forest of petrified wood. It was remarkable to do that and and, and to walk through this petrified forest. Now, I'm not really sure of what actually scared the forest, but I didn't want to stick around long enough to figure that one out. In Matthew 16, we spot something in the embankment of the text. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to slow down and we're going to look inside the embankment and begin an excavation. This passage of Scripture where Jesus is asking his followers, what are people saying about me? And then when he turns and he makes it more personal and says, What do you say about me? This section of Scripture that we have in Matthew 16, it's important for so many reasons. It's important because it's telling us that the church belongs to Jesus Christ. It's telling us that the church is built by Jesus Christ, that the church is built on Jesus Christ. It's also telling us the church is secure in Jesus Christ, ever secure in the foundation of Jesus Christ. But it's also important because it tells us who the church is. Now, for our time together today, we're just going to focus on one verse. Verse 18, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Let me read it for you. Here, Jesus is responding to Peter, and he says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray together. Father, just be with us in this moment. Open our hearts and our minds that we may understand the truth that you have for us this day. We pray through Christ. Amen. I want to take just a second and just just run quickly through the context of what's happening, as I've already alluded to. Now, if you're looking in your Bibles, you notice that in verse 13, Jesus asks them, What do others, who do others say that I am? And so the disciples in verse 14, they give the the top three answers, right? You know, survey said. Well, some people were saying that Jesus was John the Baptist. Some people were saying that he was Elijah. Some were saying, well, you're, you're probably one of the other prophets. Now, Jesus doesn't engage in any discussion with them at that point as to that, except he turns the discussion personal. And he says, okay, Now, who do you say that I am? It's no surprise to us that Peter is the first one to stand up, the first one to speak. But what's surprising to us is that he actually gets the right answer. And and Peter, like, this this is a great moment in his life. Now, in just the next section of Scripture, he just gets crushed completely. 
But here in this moment, Peter says, I'll tell you who you are, Jesus. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, Jesus uses some very fancy language in verse 17, but he says, man, right on, Peter. Man, you got it. What a joy for you to say those words that you say. And what a joy, Peter, to know that my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. So that's the context. We pick up again in verse 18. And, and here where, where Jesus is responding to what Peter has just said. And once again, let's read this together. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. This is a really fun verse. Let me tell you why it's a fun verse. In this one verse here, we discover a word picture, we discover a pun, and we discover a word play. It's fascinating to think how much fun this verse is because of those three things. Let's look at the word picture first. Jesus responds to Peter and says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Okay, that's a word picture, right? You don't have to be a linguist or a lover of linguini to see what Jesus is doing here, right? It's not like he's pointing down to the ground and saying, here it is, on this rock, Peter, I'm going to build my church. It's a word picture. What he's doing is not pointing to a physical thing. He's pointing to a spiritual thing. And so this word picture, on this rock, I will build my church, what happens is Jesus is actually setting up this pun. Now, how many of you like puns? Raise your hand. All right. Now, I don't see Joe here, but Joe has award-winning puns. Just ask him the next time you talk to him. They are award-winning puns. And so there's a fascinating moment because we don't really... Do you ever think of Jesus as being a punny guy? No, we don't, do we? I mean, we think of Jesus as being serious all the time. And here in this verse, he's making a pun with Peter. Now, some of you have friends that when you try to level that really nice pun, they say, no, that wasn't a pun. That was, you know, just wordplay. But this is fascinating because both things are happening in this text. Now, let's look at the pun. Do you remember when Andrew and Simon, who are brothers, and they're sons of a man by the name of Jonah, do you remember when they first come and meet Jesus? At the very first meeting, it's found in John chapter 1 and verse 42, when Andrew and Simon come to meet Jesus for the first time. Gary, go ahead and go to that on the slide. He, Simon brings him to Jesus. Jesus looks at who we know as Peter and says, you are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas. And then the writer of John has given us a parenthetical statement to translate, which means Peter. This is fascinating, isn't it? The very first time that Jesus meets Simon, he says, yeah, they call you Simon now, but they're going to call you something else. From now on, we're going to call you Cephas. Now, this is a nickname, is what Jesus is giving him. It's a, it's a term of, of endearment. There are people in our world today who use nicknames as slurs and insults. They devise these clever little names to dig at people and to insult them. And that's not what is happening here. In fact, I love the Spanish word for nickname. 
The Spanish word for nickname is nombre de cariño. Nombre de cariño. It means, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a term of fondness or affection. It's love language. And, 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 and uh, I thought about revealing my nickname, but it gets way too personal. Way too personal to do that here in this setting. This nickname that Jesus gives Peter Cephas, it's an Aramaic word. It's an Aramaic word, it's an Aramaic pun that he's making here, because the wonderful thing about this is that Jesus is looking the first day he meets Simon and says, I'm going to tell you not who you are right now, but who you're going to become. Now, here's where the, uh, the pun is. In verse 17, Jesus calls him by his given name, Matthew 16, Simon Barjona. In verse 18, he calls him by his nickname, his term of endearment. He says, you are Cephas. Now, this is lost on us in the English language, okay? In Aramaic, Jesus is literally saying, you are Cephas, and on this Cephas, I will build my church. So that's the word pun right there. And, and we miss that because of, of, of reading this in the English. Now, what's fascinating to me is what Matthew, the writer of this gospel, does with this pun, they remember Jesus saying, you are Cephas, and on this Cephas, I will build my church. And so Matthew, who's writing in Greek, he does everything he can to preserve the pun. He wants to preserve this moment, and what Matthew does is he turns it into a wordplay. He does it by using these Greek words. Now, we, we, we miss this too in the Greek, but in the Greek, the word Peter is Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S, and in Greek, the word that Jesus uses for rock or that Matthew uses for rock is Petra. Petra, right? Can I get a shout out for the 1980s Christian rock glam? Gary, load that slide of the group Petra, right? Anyone, anyone fans? I wish, see, I wish this picture on the left side were close enough that you could see the hairstyles, Right? You know, and I love Petra's, their naming conventions, right? This Petra Praise album was the rock cries out, you know. There's a song we don't sing. In heavenly armor will enter the land. The battle belongs to the Lord, right? That's a Petra song, you know. Am I dating myself right now? Or am I just showing how what a complete nerd I am? Right? Yeah, both. Yeah. And then there, you can't, the classic Petra, right? Back to the rock. You know, oh man, that's great. Petra, Petra is a word that means rock. Now here's the fun thing that Jesus is doing. He's saying, Peter, you're a small rock. You're a small rock. Something that is easily thrown. Something that is easily moved or displaced. But what you've just said about me is a rock that cannot be moved. It is a mass of rock that nobody can move. So what is Jesus trying to communicate here to Peter and to both us? What is he trying to teach us as his followers? This confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus says that right there, that's the foundation. That's the rock that cannot be moved, cannot be done away with. That's the foundation. That statement right there, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus takes that phrase from Peter and says, 
I'm going to build my church on that. I'm going to build my church on what you just said. So we're starting a new series of messages today called Rethinking the Church. And what I intend for this message today to serve as is a way to just introduce this thought. I'm interested in getting the conversation going about what it would look like to rethink the church today. There's a lot that's being written. There's a lot that's being said right now about rethinking the church. And as I, as I read through this stuff, as I'm seeing this, I find that there's a couple of realities. First, even saying in a church out loud, let's rethink the church, it causes anxiety for some people. It just does. Some people are, are, are fearful about that. It scares them. It's like walking through a petrified forest. And yet some people hear this, oh, rethink the church, and it energizes them. It excites them. I'm noticing that most of what's being written right now in relation to rethinking the church has everything to do with logistics, right? It's, it's about schedule and format. It's about programs and tinkering with this and hop on this trend or try this trend. Listen, it's a healthy thing to make adjustments to things that aren't working. That's healthy. It's healthy to evaluate everything that we do as a church and to see if we're accomplishing the mission that Christ has given us. The how questions, they are important. Don't hear me saying that they're not. But oftentimes, when we get to this discussion, we lose the why questions. The why questions become secondary to us. We can get so focused on the how questions that we completely ignore the why questions. So when we talk about rethinking the church, let's not rush towards these urgent questions that seem like we have to answer now. Let's focus on the important questions. Let's consider the questions in relation to who the church is, what the church does, Let's come back to this centering rock, this foundation that Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus says, yeah, I can work with that. Not only can I work without, I can build something great. It can be so good, it can be so great, that not even the gates of hell themselves could stand against what I'm going to build. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on that. Now, what is he saying? Wow, it's found in the word church. Jesus is trying to tell us something that he never intended to be building buildings. Jesus was never in a building program. That's not what he was in. Uh, That word church, Jesus is literally and figuratively, and I guess metaphorically, he's saying, I'm in the business of building people of building people. Uh, that word church, it comes from a, com- it's a compound word. It, it, it comes from a word that essentially means calling out those who are called out. That the church is those who are called out. Boy, I don't know if you've been paying attention lately, but the church universally is being called out on many fronts today. But it pains my heart because the church universally is being called out for the wrong reasons. 
The church today is being called out because of scandals and struggles. It's being called out because of fights and fractions. It's being called out because of their stance, their posturing on politics. These things deserve to be called out, never hidden or tolerated among the company of those who called out. But this is not what it means to be part of the called out. You see, we're losing our distinctiveness as those who have been called from darkness to light because of our divisiveness. We're losing the calling, the the one thing that we've been entrusted to, to build Jesus' people because we're so focused on winning winning arguments and being right. The The church, it continually shifts from solid ground to sinking sand when we focus, when we get behind, when we rally, when our battle cry is anything other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If that is not our message, we don't have a message. The world doesn't need anything else that we could tell them except that we're trying to build our lives on who Jesus is. The accomplished work of Christ to save people. The work of the gospel to shape people to build them up. The church which belongs to Jesus Christ is a church that recognizes we've been called, we've been redeemed, we've been saved, and we proclaim this as good news. We're called from serving sin and self to serving others. We're called from seeking comfort to seeking discomfort so that we can bring others to know Christ as well. So, If we want to get serious about rethinking church, (laughs) let's get serious about building Jesus, people. Let's get serious about that. Only those people who are serious Jesus people can get serious about building serious Jesus people. Those things in life which are easily thrown, they're just small rocks. We build precarious towers with these rocks that at some point will crush us under their weight. Worse, we use these small rocks as weapons against each other, seeking who we can throw them at because they disagree with us. Let's lay those rocks down. Church, let's cast aside the rocks that we're tempted to pick up to throw at someone else. Let's start there, rethinking church. Let's build on another foundation, Jesus Christ, His accomplished work for us, a foundation which cannot be moved. What if you, what if you left today and you said, you know, this week I'm going to try to react and respond to everything that occurs around me in the lens of these two questions, is this consistent with the character of Jesus? Is this a reflection of who Jesus is and what he's teaching us? Ask yourself, before you say those words, before you post that post, before you feed that feed, am I trying to build up Jesus' people or just throw rocks? Oh, I'm all for this experiment. Let's rethink, church. Yes, absolutely, let's do it. But let's anchor this experiment, this thought experiment in, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the rock upon which Jesus builds Jesus' people for all other ground, all 
other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Father, would you speak truth to us? Would you speak truth to our weary hearts? Those who have had the rocks thrown at them, would you bring healing and restoration? Father, would you forgive us when it has been more important for us to get our viewpoint across than it is for us to bring you into the mix? And even now as we enter into this time of prayer together, Lord, as we enter in this prayer time that leads us to your table, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit is working today, that we receive your words and respond as the Holy Spirit convicts. And I pray through the name of Jesus, the name that is above every other name, the name, the only name by which we are saved. Amen. Would you stand, please, as we share?